You're listening to the Quince podcast. If you didn't know already, India is breaking world records every day. And no, these are not records that should be celebrated. After reporting 1.52 lakh fresh COVID cases on 10th April, India recorded 1.7 lakh the very next day. And with looming lockdowns in states like Maharashtra and even in the capital, we are going to continue to see a spike in cases for the next few weeks. And the only weapon we have been equipped with so far against this raging virus for the past few months are vaccines. India started its vaccination drive in January this year and our journey was steadily picking up and going smoothly. However, just three months into inoculations, that journey has come to a dead halt. Multiple states have reported shortages of the Oxford-AstraZeneca Covishield vaccine. And that's because we have inadvertently reached the realistic problem of a third of humanity depending on only a single manufacturer for a vaccine, which is the Serum Institute of India in Pune. We covered the ground reality of vaccine shortages in India in our previous episode, and you can find a link to that episode in our show notes. The centre has dismissed the SOS from states and has stated that there is no vaccine shortage. But on the other hand, it has also gone a step ahead and halted exports of Covishield to other countries, a behaviour that is now being termed as quote-unquote vaccine nationalism. So what is the issue that we are facing? Because if there is no shortage of vaccine, then the centre is knocking vaccination drives of dozens of countries off course. The central narrative underpinning the problems that we are witnessing right now are regarding the notoriously complex problem of vaccine manufacturing and distribution and the relationship between the pharmaceutical companies, a country's government and its citizens. To answer and discuss how we reached our current state of vaccine shortages, the nuances of vaccine manufacturing and distribution and India's strategy for vaccinations, our guests for today's podcast are Achal Prabhala, the coordinator for Access IBSA project, which campaigns for access to medicines in India, Brazil and South Africa, and Lina Meghane, an Indian lawyer who has worked for two decades on pharmaceutical law and policy. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you, and I'm your host, Imad. So let's start with a larger question at play, which is how did we reach a stage where one of the worst hit countries by the COVID-19 pandemic, which is also the home to the largest COVID vaccine manufacturing company, is out of vaccines? To answer this, we need to dial back the clock to 2020, where in the early days of the pandemic, headlines of Oxford University working on a COVID vaccine were already appearing and they became the front runners in this race to rid the world of the pandemic and several countries pitched in for research and development of this vaccine. The rights for this vaccine were given to AstraZeneca, a UK-based pharma company, and the production license to Serum Institute in India, which at that point was a major player in vaccine manufacturing, producing over 1.5 billion doses of vaccine every year. It was the most obvious choice at that point, and this is how the vaccine production came to India. And similarly, the US government in 2020 also decided to act swiftly and decided to support several vaccine candidates with research and development funds with the sole task of finding a vaccine. These candidates are companies that you now hear of a lot like Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson. But the US did something different in its approach to vaccine manufacturing. It's one thing to offer to fund for research and development, but 
the US government went ahead and became the first and the biggest buyer in line for these vaccines. Here are Lena Megane and Achal Prabhala on how this strategy played out and also giving a glimpse on how the global COVID vaccine distribution was impacted by it. The kind of uh, funding and the kind of scientific attention COVID received, you very quickly had uh, um, candidates for vaccines. And the first generation were the mRNA vaccine and the Oxford vaccine. And of course, uh, Russia, China, India are all working on the individual candidates. And there was a great hope that, you know, uh, at least some of them would work. The great news was that almost all sort of started to show promise and potential. Uh, the ones that were most advanced in clinical trials were the mRNA vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer and then Covishield uh, from, from Oxford, uh, subsequently licensed to AstraZeneca. And of course, you know, when people realized uh, that, you know, the United States and UK had no intention of allowing these vaccines, to go out you know they had already contractually bound many manufacturers from not sending these vaccines elsewhere they had to be 100 be delivered to their governments a lot of hope shifted to india and that's where the story starts because india became sort of this uh, a place where you know the developing world would be accessing its vaccine and i think that's when you know people started to worry about what was really going to happen because India itself had a vast uh, uh, numbers of people to vaccinate. And I'm going to stop here to ask Achal if he wants to add. Absolutely. Look, uh, just to add to what Lina said, uh, last year in May, when the, when in April actually, when the pandemic had been announced, vaccine research began, Oxford University, for instance, had already announced that it had a, a promising front-running candidate this year, this time, this month, last year, if you read the headlines, you would have imagined that the Oxford University candidate would have been the vaccine that saved the world. And in many ways it was, but what happened over the rest of the year was that uh, a couple of divisions emerged. Like Lina said, Western countries, a handful of countries, so this counts for about 50 to 20% of the world's population, they put in pre-orders for these vaccines. They funded the research and development of these vaccines and made sure that they got in first in line. For some vaccines, they bought up all the supplies. So Pfizer and Moderna, for instance, we're not going to see that vaccine in India ever in the near future. And what happened in poor countries was that there was absolutely nothing. They had no orders, no clout to even get into the queue. And so the COVAX facility, which was an organization consisting of uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization, and CEPI, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, and Gavi, led by Gavi, the Vaccines Alliance, they stepped in and said, look, poor countries, we've got you, right? To half the world, they said, we've got you. In the middle, countries like Brazil, Indonesia, and Turkey, countries that are not rich enough, to be able to buy the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, but not poor enough to qualify for COVAX charity, they went to Russia and China and they fulfilled all their needs in Russia and China, right? As things went along, there is an anomaly that stood out, which is India. Because India is a poor country with great vaccine manufacturing capacity. And one Western vaccine manufacturer, AstraZeneca, partly because of Oxford's insistence before they sold the vaccine, before they exclusively licensed their vaccine to AstraZeneca, that it must be produced elsewhere, 
entered into a large access agreement with the Serum Institute in India. So that's the anomaly. AstraZeneca is an anomaly because they have done more than other Western vaccine manufacturers to create access to their vaccine. India is an anomaly because it's a poor country that can make a large quantity of vaccines. Coming back to the question on how India has run out mm -hmm. of vaccines. While the US has already struck deals with vaccine manufacturers with funding for R&D and purchase orders driving the engines of these factories, the Indian government was still dealing with a raging pandemic, at least till mm -hmm. December 2020, when the cases had slumped a bit. By this time, the Serum Institute of India was running at full speed and had several stockpiles ready to be shipped. But the company was staring at a roadblock, which is, when will India buy the vaccines? And the bigger problem, how much? Till 10 January 2021, the world's largest COVID-19 vaccine manufacturer had no idea how many vaccines the Indian government would need and by when. And on 11 January, the centre placed a surprisingly low-ball order of just 11 million vaccines. Meanwhile, the US government, now under the new Joe Biden administration, invoked a special defence act to get access to raw materials for the vaccines to pharma companies to speed up manufacturing. The Biden administration even went to the extent of posting full-time technicians in manufacturing plants to immediately repair any machinery breakdowns and also providing daily logistical help from the US Department of Defense. And on the other side of the world, a new variant of COVID was now raging through India, which resulted in the center quickly suspending exports of the vaccine to other countries since it demanded an expansion of its domestic vaccination program to now include a whopping 345 million people. But it is important to note that the Indian government does not own the vaccine that Serum Institute is producing and has no control of where it goes and shouldn't go. Now, Serum Institute, being a private and family-run company, has signed deals independently with other countries and companies, including AstraZeneca, and these deals are now being halted by the Indian government. Governments across the world have been knocking on Serum Institute's door for an explanation for the delay. Ajal Prabhala weighs in on this reality and its impact. This was known to all, but somehow not clear to anyone, and which is a part of the motivation for us to write the piece that we did in The Guardian, which is that these are not India's vaccines. In fairness, 35% of them should have been India's vaccines. And yet, Serum and the government of India and AstraZeneca had an informal arrangement among them that 50% would be India's vaccines. So that's already a larger share than is due to India. Yes. The irony is that even this share, as you pointed out earlier, and as Lena pointed out, is being diluted by these extraordinary provisions with UK and the Canada requesting them. The United Kingdom has vaccinated over 50% of its population. We've vaccinated 3%. The idea that the UK should deserve any share of the Serum Institute vaccines is absurd. What's more absurd is that all the countries getting it and wanting it, Australia, the United Kingdom and Canada, um, including Brazil, which asked for an emergency shipment, that's not on the list. All of those countries are also currently blocking the Indian proposal to waive pharmaceutical monopolies at the WTO, right? India and South Africa proposed at the WTO to waive pharmaceutical monopolies to create greater vaccine supply so that countries wouldn't experience shortfalls. Brazil, Canada, the United Kingdom, and Australia blocked that proposal and then asked India to solve their shortfalls in supply, which is a beautiful irony. Now you have India, which is 
uh, opening up, which has opened up its vaccine to 345 million people who are eligible to get it. I should just state in full disclosure, I've had a vaccine. Um, Lena's had a vaccine. We've both had a vaccine and we are grateful for it. And like anyone else, we will try to have as many family members and people close to us vaccinated who are eligible as possible, right? Now, I don't want to be in this position where I have no comorbidities, I am relatively safe. I do not want to be vaccinated ahead of frontline healthcare workers in sub-Saharan Africa. That is not in any measure a fair way of distributing these vaccines globally, but that is exactly what is happening because of India's bad planning on this issue, aided by many, many well-funded, wise international organizations and actors, we should add, right? India should have realized long before January that it would need to vaccinate regardless of the mortality, regardless of the peculiarities of COVID in India. Vaccinations were almost always going to be a certainty for a very large number of people. The government should have realized that quicker than two months ago, it should have created a couple of different things, an infrastructure uh, ability for the vaccine manufacturers themselves capital infusions or loans, other kinds of help to jump through the red tape. There is a lot of red tape that vaccine manufacturers face. It should have done all of that very early to help materially and logistically have more vaccines created, right? It should have intervened to create wider contracts among vaccine manufacturers so that it had a bigger base of supply. It should have made sure that approvals and assessments of vaccines happen rapidly. One of the problems here is that we do not have options and our reliance on serum is the same almost as other countries in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, in Asia, which are depending on us because we don't have an option. The Covaxin vaccine, which by all accounts is an excellent vaccine that works really well, suffered from a lot of misguided criticism when it was introduced, in my opinion, misguided, that dented its credibility and its perception among Indians. And that is going to be hard to correct. The government needs to help to correct that sensibly, not by you know, putting pre-recorded messages saying everything is okay, but by working to create more vaccines. The, there is a Sputnik V approval that is in the works. It has been in the works for a while. There is something like 600 million dose capacity for Sputnik. We don't know when that will roll off the shelves because you know, it's one thing to have a vaccine approved and, the other, and another to have it in hand, right? But without sufficient options, without the government stepping in to aid those options to come to market, we are going to be just as dependent and we will have the worst outcome possible, which is not only do countries like Nigeria and Ghana continue to live with just 1% of their populations vaccinated, right? We suffer shortfalls and have a massive scramble within this country where people have got one dose and are waiting for a second dose but can't get one or not everyone eligible can get one. There are crowds and there are complaints. Now, one great news which came in just today is that the Russian COVID-19 vaccine Sputnik V has been recommended for emergency use authorization in India. However, as we know, there are several vaccines other than Covishield and Covaxin, the vaccine developed by Bharat Biotech in Hyderabad, which is the only other vaccine to be approved in India. So, why the delay in approvals, given the very apparent reality of vaccine shortages in India, a reality that could have been eliminated if there were more vaccines available? Lena Megane weighs in on this quote-unquote vaccine approval hesitancy. So, I think 
couple of things that really stand out is that we all knew that some vaccines would make it uh, uh, to the market before others would. Um, and at this point of time, uh, the Indian government really needs to look at uh, both Sputnik and, and Novavax as potential candidates who will, and even Johnson & Johnson, uh, um, uh, the vaccine that biologically E is, is slated to, to manufacture. And to look at how you know they can continue supporting what the kind of support they provided to Covishield and Covaxin. That's one. But number two, if you look at today uh, the most promising vaccines, excluding the the vaccine, uh, the Russian vaccine that has been licensed widely to to four or five manufacturers. If you look at Covaxin, you have one manufacturer. If you look at Covishield, you have one manufacturer. If you look at the J and J. Uh, biological E contract, you can't even talk about it. No one wants to talk about it. Biological E won't even enter into a conversation about talking about that contract. So if you have a single dose vaccine that actually potentially eases the burden on healthcare systems of developing countries, we just don't know what's in that contract. Where do they go? Uh, does India get some? Who gets? Uh, how much does COVAX get? So the contract between biological E and uh, Johnson & Johnson is shouted in the same kind of secrecy uh, that, for example, the AstraZeneca and Serum Institute was. And we still will probably see the impact a few months later when there's a scramble for a single dose vaccine. So I think in, in some sense, India needs to sort of, I would say, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's regulators need to grow up. You know, you need to get your you know, competition commission out there looking at contracts. South Africa at the height of the AIDS epidemic, its competition commission stepped in to look at licenses uh, that Big Pharma, you know, sort of didn't want to provide, but then it went out and, and fixed that problem by ensuring that generic manufacturers from India and their own manufacturers received it. So just don't really understand when will India's regulators like the competition commission see that this is their business of looking at contracts and competition. Uh, why should you have just one manufacturer for a single dose vaccine? Why should you have one manufacturer for Covishield? Why should you have one manufacturer for Covaxin? India, the quote-unquote pharmacy of the developing world has inadvertently and without a case placed itself in charge of vaccinations for most of the world now. The question is, was the situation avoidable in the first place? If you liked listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website. And for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequint.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint's website and check out our other podcasts.